We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers play their first home game in a couple of weeks tonight as they're set to face the Portland Trailblazers, and likely without LeBron James for this game and possibly beyond. And within that context, we're going to focus our lens today on Avery Bradley, because I think his role both in the short term and long term is going to be critical to the Lakers' fortunes going forward. Bradley, as you all know, was claimed off of waivers the day before the first regular season game after getting cut by the Golden State Warriors. So it's important to note here that he wasn't part of the team's initial plans, but early season injuries to Kendrick Nunn and THT necessitated that the Lakers go out and acquire an on-ball guard defender because two of those players, along with Kent Bazemore, were supposed to be the three players who really shouldered most of that responsibility. And that's really important to note that a good on-ball defender is really important to Frank Vogel. When we as fans talk about positions, we usually do it through an offensive lens, right? Like traditionally a point guard or a one means that you're a ball handler and a passer uh, and the shooting guard or a two position is a scorer or perimeter shooter type that's less of a passer and so on and so on. But most of what we talk about is through an offensive lens. But I don't think that's the case at all with someone like Frank Vogel, who's a defensive coach. What I think he wants to know when he looks at a roster is, okay, who's my guard who can pressure uh, the game's best guards? A point of attack guard defender is, I would almost guarantee you, is considered a position in terms of Frank Vogel's mind and how he views basketball within his defensive philosophy. And so that's very important to understand, as is the idea of a rim-protecting five, as we've seen with Dwight, JaVale, and DeAndre Jordan. They're all kind of the same type of player. So if you're Vogel and two of your top three point of attack guards are out with injuries, and that's really critical within the defensive scheme that you like to run, and your other options are guys like Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, Rajon Rondo, who can't do that at all, and you can't feasibly put an undrafted rookie and have him leapfrog like two or three guys in the rotation on the depth chart, you're probably asking like, hey, hey, 
front office, I need a little bit of help. Is there anybody that we can get? And so when Avery Bradley gets cut, it's a no-brainer because if you need just a placeholder, somebody to get by, who better than somebody who is a a pressure defender, Darius, who is somebody who knows Frank Vogel's scheme already. In terms of stopgap solutions, it's hard to ask for better than that. So he gets signed and fills one of those point of attack defender spots. But here's the plot twist. We are no longer a roster that has the personnel to run Frank Vogel's preferred defensive scheme. And that's been one of the stories over the course of the season. We've gone smaller and we've switched more. But the type of basketball, D, where you're smaller and switching more and playing that brand of ball, the way that Avery Bradley fits into that is way different than how he fits into the old way and the way that we were playing at the beginning of the season, both on offense and on defense. So I want to talk about kind of a reimagining of Avery Bradley's role, because I think that's crucial to where the Lakers want to go. Yeah, let's talk about Avery Bradley. So here's the thing. Ellington was also hurt to start the season. And, and so beyond like the like the, the idea of I need this sort of player, the Lakers also needed a player, right? Like because mm-hmm. they were down so many guards and Malik came back for opening night, but he had like a hamstring injury as well at the tail end of the preseason. And he was questionable right towards the end of and going into opening night. And so I just remember thinking, my God, the Lakers have no guards. They closed the season basically playing no one. It was all like, oh, it's the Mac McClung show and Austin Reeves. Like those were the guys who were getting a bunch of minutes. And so I think just to contextualize Bradley's position on the team even more, it was sort of just like, hey, we need a guy who could maybe come in and play 10 minutes and hit and all of the stuff and that knows you what mentioned. he's doing. Yes. Yeah. And, and everything you mentioned is a piece of that, too, in terms of his familiarity with Vogel and his um, and his skill set sort of aligning with what Vogel likes to do defensively in terms of playing bigs and funneling and, and all of that. I also think you're spot on in terms of what Bradley's good at now, what the team needs a player to be good at now and where the Lakers are from a positional standpoint. And I think this ties back into our last conversation about forwards and who the forwards are. Because Bradley starting next to Russell Westbrook basically means, okay, there's only one starting spot left. Who is that player going to be? It's either LeBron James and you don't start Stanley, or it's Stanley and because LeBron's out, and then who is that next guy? Now, Mike, They've been saying, or the coaches, there was just media availability yesterday, I believe. And the idea is like, okay, well, that that fifth starter is going to be Malik Monk. And it's just like, okay. But now you look at your three perimeter players and it's like, okay, well, it's Russell Westbrook. He's, you know, 6'3", 6'4". And he's great size for a point guard. Not so much if he has to guard the other team's small forward. But let's put that to the side for now. It's Avery Bradley, who is 6'3". And his best job on the court is probably defending point guards. And then it's Malik Monk, who is like six foot one, six foot two. And his best job defensively is just like, okay, well, out of everyone else, you get to guard the guy who's like the least threat. Hopefully the smallest dude, 
right? Because we don't want you to have to guard a six, seven dude because that dude's not a threat because that dude can hurt you in other ways too, just because he's, he's bigger and stronger than you. And so Pete, where I'm thinking about Brett, like reimagining Bradley's role is more so forget what he's good at and what he's not good at. Should he be a permanent fixture in the starting lineup? Because that shapes the lineup in a certain direction. It, it And it, it establishes that, okay, well now the fifth starter becomes super important in terms of what he can and can't do defensively. And if he can't do certain things defensively, then you are surrendering a certain part of the game to either how good is Russell Westbrook going to be defensively tonight against a guy who is maybe six foot eight. He's guarded Aaron Gordon. He's guarded Harrison Barnes. He's guarded all of these dudes who he's not supposed to be defending in real life. Or it's just like, okay, well, and then how good is Bradley going to be in the job that he has to do? And and I'd like to get into that part secondary and just sort of put it to Mike to wherever direction you want to go with this as well. Because it's like Bradley went from, all right, you're the 15th guy signed to a 15th man roster to you've started pretty much every game that you've been available to play. And that's quite the leap to me. And now it's like his fixture there is something I do think needs to be explored by the coaches in order to start to build out optimized lineups. Yeah. I don't think that Bradley to me is the guy that should be starting this much. And whether it's with this kind of roster or just in general, at this stage of his career, I think, I think he's probably more of a specialist where, all right, you know, he's going to play a certain way and you know, he's going to, really try to lock in on the basketball. And so there are certain times and certain games when that can be valuable. And he's had some other good games on offense too, by the way, now where he can shoot in the mid range and he's had some effectiveness from three here and there. But yeah, I get, I get the question as him being a staple and whether it would be Reeves or Monk in that spot. And then this is where you get into, well, you have to have LeBron and AD healthy um, plus Stanley now in that spot to be able to get away with that. But I, I agree with that. So I think the where I understand why Frank Vogel has made that choice is that he hasn't had a lot of guys on this roster, especially in the backcourt, where he feels like if if nothing else, I, I think I'm going to get the the effort and the proper energy and and sort of try to ignite the defense. And I think that's his mindset. And sometimes it doesn't even happen like that. Sometimes Bradley will reach in and he'll make mistakes and all that kind of stuff. But I think Frank at least has trusted the spirit of it. And that's what he's going with, which I understand. Now, you know, whether that is whether that is contributing to the overall season in the way of wins and losses. And, you know, I think probably a little bit. I still think it ranks lower than, you know, some of the things that we've talked about, particularly LeBron and AD and the injuries. But I, I sort of understand it. Whereas if, if you just asked me, then, then yeah, like I would, I would probably not have him in that kind of a prominent role. I love the point that you make about the types of mistakes that Frank is cool with. And this is true of any coach. And this yeah. speaks to a coach coming from like, what is their basketball philosophy in the first place? Let's take a quick break. I want to explore that a bit. Cause I think you hit on a great point there, Mike. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Frank's natural instinct is to play defense and just get up in you. We're not going to give up anything. We are going to be aggressive and we are going to kick your ass. And to his credit, he has adapted over the course of the season to realizing, but a big part of it is because the results were so bad, realizing like, oh, we can't do this with these guys. But his basketball heart is always going to go in the direction of an Avery Bradley. Like it makes perfect sense. Remember when we first signed Avery, uh, the championship season, AD would talk about the Avery Bradley challenge for the defense. And what it was about was this overall spirit of that tenacity that you were talking about, Mike, that I'm going to get up in you. I'm like, I'm going to be nasty on, I'm going to care. And I really care about being as physical and present as possible. And I'm going to play like this. I get that. Those players are important, and as we've seen this year, guys who are on the opposite end of that spectrum who are like, yeah, well, yeah, whatever. It, like that is a maddening thing to watch in basketball, as is true in life. I think both extremes of anything can tend to be harmful in different ways, but they are harmful. We all have our preferences, and one of the things that I work on is to try to not be is to, to try to still see the good in players that I really don't like how they play because it goes against my basketball heart. I really dislike how Avery Bradley plays defense. Like this is just a personal thing. It's not, uh, it's just like we all have our, our things that bug us. The reaching in Darius and the like constantly getting beat off of the dribble because you're so aggressive. That is one of the things that I go back to my meager coaching experience. And that's one of the things you try to like, yo, we got to stay in front of our guy. Like if you get beat off of the dribble, this becomes this whole chain of events that's really problematic. And so when I think that we are switching, when we talk about switching and going smaller, it's more about keeping teams in front of us, D forcing them to shoot jump shots. And when you're ball pressuring someone and reaching in and doing all that, it causes the exact opposite of that. So I, th that is, I think, though, 
so close to Frank Vogel's basketball heart in terms of what he likes out of a defender that there's kind of this push and pull going on right now that I think speaks to what we've been talking about. I see it both ways. I could live with a guy like reaching in and gambling. Part of the idea of Vogel's approach defensively, particularly when they play drop schemes, which they have been playing more of now that AD's back, yeah, is pressure the ball. That's the whole point. Like if you that's get like, be- that's and, step one. And if of you how get we play beat, defense, like, mm-hmm. and if you get beat, then back pressure, then peel then off. Back, yes, then box a dude out. Right, physical, right. physical, physical. And yes. Bradley does a lot of those yes, secondary does. and third mm-hmm. things as well. He will back pressure. He will box out. Like, and, and so Bradley does a lot of things right within the context of what Frank Vogel likes too, right? And so there is synergy there too. Like, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, well, Bradley is doing a bunch of stuff wrong, like a bunch of stuff. He does do some stuff wrong. And some of the things that he does, does compromise the defense as well. Like the stuff that I'm more concerned about with Bradley is his off-ball work defensively. And how much that compromises team defense. Yes. And what happens when the Lakers go to something, a different defensive approach than drop coverages and how locked in he remains when his responsibilities change. Right. And so there was a possession and I can't remember if it was against the Hawks or if it was against the Hornets, but the Lakers we're switching. And there was a nice little action that was run at the top of the floor. Bradley was on the ball. He got switched off to the ball. And then his man, his new man, went down and peeled off and then went down. So and he's like, off the ball now? He's off the ball now. But he was okay. just he was just on the ball. So it's not like he started a possession off the ball because he has issues in those possessions as well, right? Sure. I'm talking about he's locked in on the ball, like mm-hmm. uh, like tractor. I beam. think this was a Trey Young Kevin Herter ball screen. It was it at the top. It was at the top of the floor. Yep. This was Trey Young and Kevin Herter. Yep. And so his new man is Herter. Uh huh. Or was and, supposed to be. And and Herter vacates. He does not stay high. No, and he Bradley, cuts down toward the baseline, and he goes down, down toward the towards the dunker spot. And Bradley sort of was so locked in on that's it right there on my defensive assignment was Trey Young that yep. he's still I'm sort shut of shut down Trey Young. Yep. He is still yep. sort of staring at Trey Young, yep. even though he, that's no longer his responsibility. Malik Monk or whoever is now on Young, and Herder goes down. He does some something else, and then whoever is on, I think it was a Kongwu is now defending two. He gets confused and then a Kongwu gets like slips in and gets an inside shot or something. That's a long explanation of a play from me, but it's indicative of what happens to Bradley when yes. you start to switch is mm-hmm. Bradley's attention. He does not shift his attention quickly, which I think is super important within the context of switching. His attentiveness is so much like like, oh my Locked God, in. I yeah. am on this dude. My and responsibility it is, my is shut, yes. to stop him. My responsibility yes. is shutting down this dude. And look, Bradley. And there's been, a great place for that. Like, yeah, he's been that, wired this way his whole life, man. It's he's what's been, good about him. He's yeah. been playing this way for yep. an entire NBA career. 
And in the same way, Mike, that like Mello will dribble into a two two dribble pull up jumper, <laughs> uh-huh. right? That he's been taking since he was, you know, in AAU as like a 13 year old, right? In the same way that that is true, Bradley is going to be like frothing at the mouth trying to stop his individual man. And it's that sort of like disconnection that happens that can also be a backbreaker for a defense. And so when we're examining Bradley's bigger role, I think the idea that you brought up earlier, Mike, in terms of like he is a specialist. That's why I think that's the perfect word to describe him. It doesn't mean that he's not useful. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a place on the team. It doesn't mean he shouldn't have a role. It means that as the Lakers transition and evolve into being the best version of themselves, that version probably doesn't play into what are the best things that Bradley can provide. And finding ways to mitigate how much you have to then rely on him or use him, I think is important. The type of player that I think is super ideal to have on the court next to stars is the guy that you just, you don't have to have these kind of conversations about taking off the court. And the Lakers were pretty loaded with them for the last couple of years, whether it was a, so Danny Green had some flaws. Uh, oh, 100%. You know, but, no, Mike, this is a – I would never argue that. Danny Green is yeah. one of the best in the game at what you're talking about. Like responsible adults, he's one of the like – yeah, he, he's one of the great responsible adults in the NBA. Darius, does Pete get to say that like that or <laughs> after uh, – <laughs> My I argument can't. has been consistent. <laughs> yes, it's true. And I, which Exactly, but you just said nice things about him, which is, you know, I, alas. I, we I all, always, we all, he's – Yes. We all agree on this. So, so a guy like that, that's one example to start, but then Kuzma, uh, I like before they traded him, this is one of the reasons I liked Josh Hart or KCP or Caruso, where you just, you don't have to take them off the floor in any situation. And I, I, so there, this year, there are guys, we started the year talking mostly probably about Deandre. He was kind of like the first guy, you know, and then uh, like Ellington is another guy you talk about Uh, Bazemore. Was it was another like all of these guys that have had roles in these different spots. And Bradley is another one of those guys like he isn't a guy, although there are parts of him since he can he can be effective on both ends. But you can't he can't always be effective on both ends. So there are some times where like that's just not going to work. You know, he's going to he's going to try to lock into Trey Young. He's getting screened uh, anyway. You know, he's not going to really take the ball from him. Like so that isn't it isn't as good of a matchup as it might appear to start. So. That's where it becomes this whole plugging thing. And it's again why like this there's just so much less room for air because of the the personnel built around the the three stars uh, to that extent. So I think all of this stuff is uh, we're in agreement on this, right? It's yes, just sort oh, of, absolutely. It's but sort it of like, a, what do you do about it? You know? Yeah. And that's, that's where we are, where we are. Like you have to be in that problem solving mode of, yeah. okay, now what? I have an idea. I want to throw your guys your way just from watching the last few games. Uh, we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
So the type of player that Bradley is on offense, um, he was a an 18-point-per-game guy, a 20-point-per-game guy at one point who was was a, a, just a really good young player uh, you know, for the Celtics. But the nature of offense back then was so different. You'd run floppy screens and curl to like 17 feet away. And you still see that in his game when you watch him now. If you leave him open from 17 feet, he's going to hit that one dribble pull-up pretty well for a role player in particular, right? And because that's kind of the era of basketball that he comes from. And then the type of defender that we've described throughout much of the pod is kind of an old school defender too. And Frank Vogel is kind of an old school defensive coach. So all of this lines up at least in my mind. But as we are figuring out who we are in this smaller team that switches and one thing that the tape I think has been wonderful on Darius is Stanley Johnson as your point of attack defender. And within a switching scheme, part of why that matters is you can do a couple of different things outside of it. For example, that Stanley Johnson, Anthony Davis trap on the ball, that's going to work on more than just Trey Young. That's two great athletes with a ton of length who can move their feet. That is going to be hell. When you want to trap a, a ball handler, that's going to be our best two on the ball if we want to you know, blitz, blitz a ball handler. But if you want to switch... That leaves Stanley Johnson on the four or the five on the other team. Now, that's not ideal, but it's better than Avery Bradley on that player, at least in most circumstances. If you don't want to play aggressive on them and you want to give up the jump shot, but you still want to get a hand up, what better than a forward that can move his feet with the seven-foot wingspan to just get a hand up and contest that jumper? So as we transition from one style of a team to another, the positions of that change. This is more familiar in NFL uh, type of coverage where you talk about a 3-4 defensive end versus a 4-3 defensive end, 3-4 linebacker, 4-3 linebacker. But I truly believe this is true in basketball too, where you have kind of these drop coverage defenders, these old school defenders, and then you have your switch defenders that if you put Stanley Johnson in a on-ball point of attack position uh, in Frank in Frank's you know drop coverages, it's a much harder ask for him than than switching is. So anyway, I, I'm curious on your thoughts on that, D. I really think the tape on Stanley on the ball has been really kind. No, Stanley is one of the team's best defenders. Frank Vogel would agree because I just quoted Frank Vogel, right? <laughs> right, right, right. He he said this, Mike. I think two weeks ago when Stanley wasn't yet signed for the rest of the season. And I think the idea was brought up like, hey, Stanley Johnson, like, what do you think about him and like his long-term future? He's like, I hope we get him back. He's one of the best, def- he's one of the best defensive guys we have on the team. And yep. it's just like, yep, there you go. And he does a lot of things well defensively, Pete, not just on the ball, but even off the ball. He's active. He chases down loose balls. He has good size. He's got good instincts for where to be on the court. Like he's just a very good defensive player. I'd like him on the ball. If it was my choice, I wouldn't start Avery Bradley. I would still start Malik Monk. I would start Stanley Johnson every single time. And, and if LeBron's not there and you're going to start Stanley anyway, right. Then I would start Austin Reeves. Right. And are you still too small at that point? That's my concern about starting both Malik and Austin is you still find yourself in that similar. You know what I mean? You are too small. You are too small. But I'm not going to start Stanley Johnson, Taylor Horton Tucker. Right. And like so here. So 
Here is the range of starters to me with LeBron James out. And I think this is important since LeBron James is out now and he could be out for a week. He could be out for longer than that. I'm hoping it's less than that, but let's just say that he's out for three or four games. Who you start at the other forward spot besides Stanley is super important, right? I do not think it can be Avery Bradley, mm-hmm. right? So if Malik Monk is going to start, Malik Monk is not playing forward. Correct. Right? <laughs> right. And so, and I honestly think that you're going to have issues if you say that guy is going to be Russell Westbrook, right? Because, of course, like we saw against Philly saying like, hey, Russell Westbrook, go guard Tobias Harris. Like, He's just too short. That'll yeah. work sometimes because of <clears throat> his physical fight and want. Right. But other times it's just like, under, yeah, right. but other times this is like, okay, this dude's six, eight, you're six, four. Like there's nothing that you can do. So I think the choices are Austin, Taylor Horton Tucker and Carmelo Anthony. That's but my vote. I think those are the only options. If you told me let's start Carmelo, I would fine. Yep. Fine. Start. Start Carmelo. You've got way more offense on the court. You're going to struggle in some other defensive things. Like, I think it's harder to switch with Carmelo, but you've got Anthony Davis on the court, right? And, and so, Stanley Johnson on the other side. And Stanley him. Johnson on the, the, the other idea. side or Stanley at the point of attack, depending on who the main ball handler is against a team like Fair the point. Nets. That's mm-hmm. James Harden. That's a big dude. You wouldn't yep. have Malik Monk on that guy anyway. Right. Right. And so there are solutions here. Like, Avery Bradley, out of all of those guys, he would be my fourth option because he would be behind Mello and Austin and THT if Monk is already in the starting lineup. But I wouldn't start THT because THT needs more on-ball reps and he's not a good enough shooter. Like, Bradley is such a better shooter at this stage of his career than THT is. And his off-ball work as a cutter is probably comparable to THT, right? And so on the diet of threes, I would say THT and Bradley get the same diet of threes. Nice open ones. Yep. Yes. And Bradley hits so many more of them. Yeah. Right. And, and so from that perspective, but but THT has so much more size and he's got much better on ball chops, which is why he would or as good of on ball chops. Right. Like he is just in terms of the versatility of who he can defend. Um, And so that's where I'm at, Mike. It's sort of like, well, I'd start any of those guys above Bradley. I'm with Pete. I think I think Stanley and Monk are going to have to start for this team. I think they offer a certain dynamic level of play on both sides of the ball. And when I say both sides, I mean Stanley defensively and Malik offensively, right? And you put that next to Russ and you put it next to LeBron and AD, that's your starting five. Without LeBron, what's your solution? here mike in terms of like without lebron because he he's obviously so crucial you cannot replace him but the lakers need to find better functioning lineups without lebron i was just thinking about i'm looking ahead into one of my bookcases here in my garage and it's got the booklet of all my old cds from back in the day like one of those giant things and there are certain albums where you just play all the way through and there isn't a single miss like Tupac, all eyes on me. It's two books, and yet you just play the whole thing no skips, through somehow. Mike. We call that no, no skips. skips. No skips. Okay. So uh, the Lakers don't have a no skip roster. So if you're gonna take, if you're gonna <laughs> take a piece off of the, uh, if you're gonna put one of those guys 
uh, like Melo would say, into the starting lineup. Well, then you got a problem with the bench rotation. And, and like same thing, if you put Reeves in um, with to the starting lineup, then all of a sudden your bench group is not going to be nearly as good because of what he's able to do with that group. And if you put THT in, then all of a sudden you have him out there in the same time with Westbrook, which I think is the are two of the guys that you almost never want to have out there at the same time. So I that's where I'm kind of sympathetic to 100%. what the coaching staff is trying to accomplish here. For sure. But I guess if I'm in, in my sort of in just the most basic part of the brain. All right. Wh- let's deal with the starting lineup first and try to make that as optimal as possible. And there that's where I get it. Like if you want to put Mello in there. Sure. If you want to put Reeves in there, uh, that would, you know, it's tough to get me to argue about anything with Austin Reeves. But then I'm kind of like, well, Mello isn't going to be able to play those type of starter minutes game after game, especially when he's been one of the few guys that's barely missed any action. And he's played 48 games this year. And if you start him, then instead of he's at 26.7 minutes right now, you're starting to flirt with him getting up into the 30 something again. And then he's going to wear down. So I'm... I think it would be good to just try to, so you're not having Russ Bradley and Monk together. And so I'm, I'm up for it. I just also see the problems with all three of those options. Mike, one thing that I would say too, is I think Stanley's got to play more minutes. Like his minutes, he is being used as like the three shift player. Yeah. Right. And I think he needs a fourth shift. Maybe we see his effectiveness decline with a fourth shift, but I'd like to give that a try as well, right? Because we're talking about, okay, well, if you start Mello, well, Mello can be a three shift player similar to Stanley and you would keep his minutes in that 22 to 26 range just by being a three shift player instead of a four shift player as a starter. And you then have to judge on what are the most important parts of the game that you want Carmelo Anthony to play in. And maybe you cut his starting shift short. Maybe he only plays for five minutes or six minutes to start the game. And then you can bring him back to play in other lineups. But it's just like, Pete, I'm thinking about ways like, how do you optimize what you're going to do defensively too? Because it's hard to switch with Carmelo Anthony on the court. And so do you go back to Ariza? Do you go back to Stanley for like more minutes where you could play more switchable lineups? Because I'm with Mike. It's just like, okay, you solve one problem here. You create another one there. And it's like, you're spinning plates a lot. So that's 100%. And this is what I've been where my idle thoughts have gone all year and my dreaming about this team and what it could be and how do you solve the problems that it has. And I think the 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 golden spots are where you find something that solves two problems. And I think that starting mellow is one of those things because for one, the there's nothing say say we started Austin instead of Avery Bradley, right? We can't keep kind of similarly sized guys, but there's I like all five guys in a starting lineup of Russ, Malik, Austin, Stanley, and AD. That's about our best five players are close to it in terms of uh, with LeBron out, but collectively they're small. And it's, it's the problem of Malik and Austin, who's, you know, six, five and takes great angles and is one of your better guard defenders for sure. But he can still get kind of plowed through. He's not, not the strongest guy. And so Malik plus him with that strength disadvantage, that also applies to Stanley at the four in some groups. You watch that Atlanta game and he was having a hard time with their interior guys because he's a skinny kid. Right? Like he's, You know what I mean? It's not something that it's just part of. And so when it's Malik 
and Austin and Stanley at two, three, four, I think you don't have enough strength. And so the reason I think that starting mellow, one of the things that's been a problem about having mellow come off the bench is you can't switch with him. And those are the smaller, more switchable lineups. Like you said, we've been dropping more with Anthony Davis. And so having mellow in that group, it's more conducive to what mellow can do, Mike, that mellow can play more of that old school basketball. It's the asking him to chase around and switch and go out to the perimeter and do all that, that struggles. And so I think that replacing Bradley with Mello resolves your size issue. You have better spacing around Russell Westbrook and you can have a switching lineup come off of the bench while your starters drop. It's a good argument. It's a persuasive argument. I think the, the, the first part of the pushback for me is I, I think Mello prefers the current role uh, that he's in. Actually, oh, like, yeah, I, if, um, it, if that's the case, and it, I mean, we are also though. I, I get that he prefers it. We are also in a. We have some short term, like we need to win some games. Yeah, <laughs> type of no, thing. I, and if it's what's best for the team, like, can you do it for a week or two? That that type of thing, you know. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a that's that's a good part of the discussion. But I whether I don't know if Mello has voiced this, but I remember it's come up at different spots, right? When talking mm-hmm. about rotations and whether it was Mello or Frank or some combination of the both. Like there does seem to be for him, it's like, all right, this stage of the career, like here, here's what the totally skill set, here's what the minutes are. And it does yeah. seem to kind of fit what that is. So I'm I'm going back to my only answer, I guess, because of thinking about pairing THT with Westbrook and just I'm I'm just going back to Reeves. Like if that's the if I got it real quick, what would you do? More Reeves, and he is playing more lately than Bradley, by the way. For um, sure. his, his minutes have been higher, but match him and why not out. try? Yeah, just try to start it and let's we've tried everything else. <laughs> let's sure. go ahead and just see see how that works for a little bit. I'm gonna say this probably near the end of every pod. I said it near the end of yesterday's pod. And every pod up until February 10th, I think I'm going to say it again. It's like the other solution is the Lakers make a trade and they try to find this other player or two players who can slot into the lineups and offer some size and some physicality on the wing in order to mitigate the size issues that they have by having an unbalanced roster with too many guards. And really I give us, us three, I'm, I'm going to give us three a round of applause because every day, we talk about different lineups and choices and we brainstorm like we're in the damn coaches room because we know the coaches room are brainstorming like crazy too. They are trying to seek out solutions for problems that stem from an imperfect roster. Every NBA roster is an imperfect roster. The Lakers dealing with the amount of injuries that they've been deal- dealing with and the general imbalance of, of the roster in general, I think, has created – more no sustaining problems, problems than yeah. I think what the coaches I know, not what I think, what I know the coaches would want to deal with. But here we are again talking about, hey, let's swap out Carmelo. Let's swap out Avery Bradley for Carmelo Anthony and then let's solve it with Stanley Johnson or Austin Reeves. And let's play this guy five more minutes a game and that guy five more minutes a game. When it's, well, these are our short term. That, that matters, too. That That's my only argument. Obviously, these are such marginal things that in the long term, like in the long term, I think the Avery Bradley role does matter and that who starts in that spot is a significant issue. But yeah, there's like, it's making the best of a bunch of imperfect solutions. Yes. And and so, and I'm with you short term, try everything, right? Or find the best thing out of things that you know are not 
very good in the big picture in terms of like optimal solutions. But right outside that layer of short term is medium term. And medium term, seriously, medium term is 10 days to me. In in 10 days, the only way you're going to be able to, to change your roster is if a guy gets bought out and he actually chooses mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Right? In the next eight days, until February 10th, the Lakers have the ability to communicate and have conversations with other teams about players that are on other rosters. I know they're having those conversations right now. And... Finding a guy or two who can help this team is super important to to me. And so right around the 34 or 35 minute mark of every podcast, Pete, you're I'm probably gonna be like, hey, they should try to find a guy to trade for. No, absolutely. That's it's and that's part of the fun of following the basketball season is the short term, the coach's perspective, the GM's perspective, the player's perspective, which I think we lose sight of far too often. Um, it's part of the fun of doing a five day a week podcast where we can get so into the nitty gritty. I loved this conversation. Uh, it's a blessing to talk uh, basketball with you guys. We will be back tomorrow to discuss how the game against the Blazers went tonight. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. And Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.